Association podcast with your hosts and combined three decades in the association market, Jake Tui and Joe Post from Adage Technologies and Ben Muscolino from Brizio. All right, so we are here. It's the first episode of the Association podcast. Ben, Joe, how are we doing? Very good. We're doing good. I'm glad we're uh, we're finally getting this uh, kicked off here. So Number I thought uh, maybe a, a good way to, to start things off is talk about what we're doing, why we're doing it, who the audience is for this. So maybe, Ben, you can lead us off with that. Yeah, I mean, it's for everybody. It's the Association Podcast. And though we come at it uh, from the mindset that we're really on the technology side of things, I think technology runs through the veins of every single side of the business, uh, every side of the association and the nonprofit. So yeah, I think this is for everybody and hopefully we'll have uh, straightforward enough titles as we move along and the right guests to make it obvious uh, to what audience we're speaking to for that specific episode. But yeah, this is, this is for everybody. and We're excited to swim through the entire uh, association market. And I think we, uh, we've, we've kind of taken a while to kick this off and get it off the ground. And this comes on the heels of uh, a very successful first season of the actual disruption web- webinar series that we, uh, we all did together. And we thought sure. it was, uh, it was a good, good way to kind of move into uh, to a podcast so we can, you know, get this out in a different channel. So um, I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is kind of the challenges that we're seeing. That was kind of the theme of, uh, the first season of actual disruption and will continue to be in the future, given where we're all at with COVID and uh, in the current state. So maybe I'd ask Joe to uh, talk about what are some of the things that we've gone through maybe on the webinar, some things you've seen dealing with our clients, um, just about challenges that we're seeing across the market uh, right now. Sure, Jake. I want to just touch on what Ben said just a second too, though, which is the the technology and business aspect of this ongoing discussion which uh, one of my favorite little sayings from one of our client CIOs is that there's no such thing as a technology project. There is a business project with a technology aspect. There you go. And that's really the position that we're representing here. But as far as uh, some of the trends, I mean, some of the trends we've talked about in actual disruption, I think are still still with us. You know, there's still COVID and, and everything that's come out of that as it's affected people's you know, ability to meet and gather and, and, you know, a lot of associations are really focused on live events for multitude of reasons, whether it's educational or conference. So, you know, the business impact of COVID is still there for many. That's, that's one trend I'd identify. And coming out of that, of course, there's all the movement to, to digital, right? So we're seeing a lot of clients uh, moving out there trying to do new things, whether it's communities like Brizio or LMSs, uh, like uh, WebCourseWorks, for example. I mean, there's a lot of movement into digital right now. I'll, I'll just, I'll, you know, add on to that. It's funny because when I hear digital, I think virtual, like that's the trendy virtual, virtual, virtual for 2020. And it's funny because if you think about what we've been doing with websites and LMS and all of these technologies for a long time before we called them virtual conferences and virtual this and virtual that because we couldn't get together in person anymore. We've always been providing virtual experiences to our members and to our customers via our website, via all of the things that we do when we're not in a room with them. Mm -hmm. And so we've more formalized our approach to some of these things before it was our websites, our website, but our our conferences is this, our virtual conference is this, but our in-person conference is this. It's always been virtual. Even to get to the in-person conference, there was a virtual experience to get there. And yeah. so I, I love that we're starting to tie it all together. 
Yeah, me too. And you know, I'm a big, big words guy, but the the thing I like about this is like, I wouldn't necessarily call it virtual as much as digital. And also this idea of connected experiences to me is really the, the fascinating connective tissue, right? Like we've heard, you know, some associations moving to hybrid events and all of a sudden they're having that really insightful moment where they're thinking about things differently and they're wondering, how do I connect what was, you know, typically in-person live event? How do I make that now a, a hybrid, you know, connected experience across both, you know, in-person and virtual. And I think that's a great way to kind of back up here. Um, one of the things that was a theme that came out of our, our webinar series was um, there was the virtual events. We, we had, you know, our guests from Cvent on a couple times to talk mm -hmm. through that. And that ties into to learning management systems and how people are, are gaining their credentials or how they're doing their, their education that may have typically been done in person. But if you back it up a little bit, you know, we saw a huge boom in virtual events and registrations for virtual events. ASAE was a great example of that. Cvent's uh, virtual conference Huge. this year was a really, really great example of that. Um, and then one of the things that we, we talked about was how you, you now have these leads, right? So you have these people that are, are interested in the event that don't typically join in person um, or don't, you know, haven't been able to because of, you know, travel or budgetary concerns, but now you've got a bunch of a uh, bunch of different people that you can engage with communities being one of them. Uh, so talk about that a little bit, Ben. Well, just data in general, right? Like da people's data strategy had to change or it didn't have to, I shouldn't say it had to, the people that were paying attention changed a little bit, right? Because they were generating similar data than they were before in terms of um, the fields, I suppose that they're collecting, but who and what they're doing with those things. I mean, the idea of prospecting, we, we did a little bit of discussion on prospecting through open community, but virtual, I mean, we talk about this, you know, in-person and virtual event piece and, and you know, Cvent's a perfect example. I think they went from 5,000 a year to 45,000 or something like that in attendance for their virtual conference. What do they do? Like, what does your association do with all of that data? Do you say, cool, like, that's great. We delivered some great programming and good job. I, gosh, I hope these people come back next year. No, There's, you hand that data off to your membership team and you say, who are the most engaged people in the conference that are non-members, right? Like, what are we doing with that data as an outcome because of the, the situation we were put in this year? It's a blessing in disguise, I think. The people that are going to capitalize on this are going to see this two years from now and be up revenue than they were two years ago. I mean, it's going to be incredible. I think when we talk about how to, to take advantage of this and, and how it's going to happen in the future, the hybrid model is something I think we've all talked at length about. Um, what do you see the future of live events being? I've got ASAE annual targeted as the first time that I think it's possible. Um, there've been some other, association events kicked around that are even scheduled for March to be in person. And I don't know if we, we think that might happen, but uh, how does it going to look in the future from your perspective? So Joe, here's my question. Are people going to be doing live streaming all the time of all their in-person meetings now, or have the boom of LMSs and the fact that people are doing virtual conferences, allowing people the flexibility to say, we're going to record some of our programming here. We're going to document this a little differently and manage this content a little differently as an asset and put it up on demand and do some of these other things? Or do you think they're going to be compelled to do live streaming? Like you have to have 
the you know the past to do the virtual conference at the same time as the in-person conference i think it's going to be really interesting to see what people do and this is the the comment about the data right it's like i think the data is going to open up a lot of new opportunities and ways of thinking right when you go from five thousand to forty thousand all of a sudden you have a much clearer picture of your audience and you can use that to do so many things in terms of planning and, and trying to think through what's valuable to people. And I, I think that's really, for me, one of the little like, little nuggets that's come out of this is that it, it is valuable for people to attend virtually, that there was a kind of an unknown audience there that was kind of just, you know, latent, right? They wanted to attend, but maybe they couldn't, you know, fork out for the travel and accommodation. And now here they are in your conference. So how do you keep those people engaged? And I also think there's, you know, what that kind of indicates to me is that there's always been value in some of this live, you know, in-person content. And all of a sudden now you see business models developing where that live content can be streamed. It can be live streamed. It can go OTT. It can go into your LMS. Either way, my prediction is that people are going to get a lot more out of their content that they already put so much effort into making. Talk more about the OTT aspect. I think that's something that's very interesting, and we've talked about the three of us quite a bit. Um, but, Joe, where do you see that going, and how can associations take advantage of, of that model? Yeah, I think OTT is the more visionary take on what happens with live events, right? So you go from to access this content, you had to be there in person. Now it's hybrid, so I can, I can log in and I can attend. But why can't I have that on demand? Why can't I go up to my, my living room and turn on my Roku and start playing whatever certification program or, you know, maintenance of certification, what, what have you, right? Depending on the association, why can't I go find that? You know, one of the more remarkable pieces of content I've seen recently on the Roku is uh, the great courses. Those were, you know, traditionally audiobooks or similar and now you can you can literally stream those on demand on the Roku. It's incredible. It, it's crazy that you're talking about your Roku app on your TV because I don't remember the last time I heard anyone in our space say I just consumed a conference or a piece of content having to do with this market or any type of learning in this market on their television. It's always their monitors that they're set up from home or their laptop or their phone or whatever. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, that's cool that. I can get this on my phone or they have a, an app, you know, to, to log in and see that you just said television. I mean, Absolutely. Like most, yeah. Well, and most people spend a ton of time with their television, especially more. So everything's easy on demand. So whether you're glued to it or not, you're like, I can just throw on whatever that show is from my Amazon fire stick or Hulu or Netflix or whatever it is at any time. Yeah. And, um, that's a that's a really interesting paradigm shift there to to drag Hulu into it because I feel like we use that stuff faster and easier than we do even the apps on our phones sometimes. So when does programming become available there and really enter our world in that regard? Like we almost look at them as two separate worlds. It's, it's happening, well, you know. Like we're inviting these devices more and crazy. more into the fabric of our everyday life, right? And you think of Roku—that's one little example. That you can get a Roku for twenty bucks. And you can also get an Alexa or a Google, Google Home. You know, you can get those devices and they just become part of your, your environment. And the, the thing that's really evolving quickly this last year is the barrier to entry to getting into Roku is, is not where it used to be. Just about anyone now, if you produce good content, there is a path for you to get that directly on the Roku. 
And just think about it from, you know, we're all kind of working from home and glued to our monitors all day. If you have to get credentialed or you have to take a course, it might be easier just from a user experience perspective, just to be able to throw it up on your TV, Absolutely. do that course after you're done with work. I mean, everybody's working more from home. So I completely to, agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an easier way to consume the content that you have to do to fulfill those requirements. So um, you know, it's I think an it's interesting double edged sword on that one. You know, I think the the things you learn about is that people are willing to attend virtually, but then you just as often hear like, hey, I miss being in person. But from a brand or organization point of view, what I think is really valuable is that all of a sudden now you have data you didn't have before. And some of that data is directly, you know, kind of transferable to how you behave at your organization. And one great example we heard from actual disruption with the LMSs was, you know, departments working together in a way they didn't used to work together. And I think that's the kind of evolution that is, you know, kind of on the frontier here. It's like when we learn, learn from our data, we can learn to work differently. We can learn about different audiences and we can start to serve them better. I think we need to have a podcast specifically on devices, honestly, because I feel like this is a whole conversation all in itself. I'd agree that it would be great to explore kind of more of the visionary things that could be done there. I think, Joe, you just mentioned something I wanted to touch back on, though, is that there is the aspect that the, of in live events, what we see the benefit of those usually being when we talk to our clients is really it's the networking piece, right? I mean, Ben, one of Ben's famous quotes from Actual Disruption is nobody works a conference room better than me. And anybody who knows Ben, there you go, still true. So there is the networking aspect, not only from a vendor to, to client uh, side of things, but, you know, inside of the association that, you know, maybe throwing the, the huge annual conference, there's a huge networking aspect to that. And you don't get that from virtual events. You do get an opportunity to, you know, add more people, more people can learn, more people can be involved and you can get the data from, from those individuals. But uh, that networking aspect, it's tough to replace virtually. It is. I want, I feel too, like we've joked before um, behind closed doors and now I'll just bring it up publicly here, but you know, there are some people that engage in session discussions for no other reason than to be seen. Right. And you have to weed some of those people out. Like who's there to network and collaborate? And who's there just to be seen. Right. And the beauty of it is depending on the platform that you're using and what you're tracking, you can weed some of those people out. And that goes back to the 35,000 more people that you may have gotten to register this year that didn't last year. And it's like, what were they doing while they were there though? Were they, did they register just so that they could do a social media post to say that they were attending or what was it, right? Like some people check the box and you know what, if that's your thing, that's cool. You'll get weeded out if people are looking at their data in an intelligent way though. And you match that with the actual activity that goes on. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think the, the value, and it's interesting because if you want to charge money for sponsors, you want to charge money for attendees, right? We've had this discussion inside and outside, you know, these recorded sessions to talk about the dangers of waiving, you know, fees for events. And if you, you know, outweigh that with big virtual sponsors, um, yeah, maybe it's less revenue than you're in person, but it may be higher margin. Um, but the data and the numbers start to speak for themselves and you'll be able to see who's there, who's there that's engaging that ordinarily wouldn't have been there. 
and be able to kind of skim that data off the top and really do something with it, I think. Yeah, you know, there's so much fodder here. You know, one of the things that occurs to me in all this movement too is that a lot of brands are, you know, suddenly realizing that for their audiences, they have to be on point across the board. And you have to you have to get your live event right. You got to get your website right. It's all got to work together. And I think that's that's going to be what the next couple of years will bring. You know, as people people are now figuring that out, and they're going to have to align all their different digital activities to make sense of it all, and align their departments. Right? We we talk about silos quite a bit. Yeah, and so, this is this is exactly what I'm talking about. And I, I've been working on this kind of extended analogy. But, you know, I, I used to watch a lot of Kitchen Nightmares. Really, I don't know why. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure, although I do exactly know why. And it's because it's, it's uh, you know, if you think of every episode of Kitchen Nightmares, you get the same basic formula. Uh, Gordon Ramsay comes in, he goes into the kitchen, finds a mess, starts pulling rotten food out of the fridge. And, you know, the first thing he does is he goes and talks to the chef. That's step one. Then he goes and talks to the owner. And then he goes to talk to the front of house. And really to have a well, high-functioning restaurant, front of house back of house a chef and the owner everybody's got to work in concert and that's how you get there now you add on to that the digital aspect right you, you have to have everybody working together and that means breaking down those silos it means, right. Absolutely. You, know. you can't have silos if you want to deliver a great experience right this yeah. is you, you can't have your your host or you know what have you in this analogy selling all this great food if the kitchen can't deliver right and then the wait staff has to make sure the food comes out on time and people aren't waiting too long right it's all got to work together and, and one in of those current environment you add on i probably ordered ahead of time on an app so the app's got to work and that a great example of that from uh, the, our webinar series was kind of how events and education now have to work like they they were probably there was no crossing there was no venn diagram at all in the past events are trying to put on this great very expensive very high profile event and then education's kind of coming along for the ride or they you know they're involved to some degree but now if anything they really got to be all over each other yeah right yeah right all right so um some of the things we talked about were about how small associations have made the urgent changes maybe faster because their business model maybe didn't call for they they relied mostly on memberships and and events and how they have pivoted faster because there's more urgency. Let's talk about that real quickly. Well, even even the reserves for small organizations are very different, right? If you're a $2 million association, you don't have, you know, $15 million sitting around or $25 million sitting around too. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that yeah, it's those efficiencies. If you lose one staff and you're four staff, you're like you're down twenty five percent. You got to create efficiencies. You've got to uh, figure out how to make things a little better. And so it's funny. I think that um, the middle of the market has kind of stood still, at least from what I've seen for a little while. And these small organizations are ready to spend on technology because they're seeing that the digital experience is more important than it's ever been, and the automation. And the connectivity of the third-party apps that they might be working with has never been more important because they don't have more people to push the buttons and wind the cranks, right, to make sure that everything is getting where it needs to go. So it's been a very interesting market to watch over the last year. Yeah, it's interesting. The small ones, it's pros and cons, right? Maybe you don't have the deep reserves, but at the same time, you probably don't have all the overhead of, you know, hundreds of staff. And on the flip side, the really big organizations, 
you got all that overhead, right? And unfortunately, in, in this climate, that's meant some pretty dramatic, you know, drastic measures for some. But it's it, it's interesting to see, you know, different people doing different moves. And, you know, a lot of the pivots, like we have one uh, client partner that for years insisted that, you know, all of the examinations have to be proctored in person, are now moving to virtual or digital proctoring. Mm -hmm incredible for them that was a mindset shift right that was a cultural point of view it had to be live now it can be virtual really cool yeah absolutely so um as we wrap up our first episode of the association podcast anything else you guys would want to drop in and add before we uh we move it along i think agility is one of those things that is right with this too when you talk about large and small organizations and the comparison between those and then also what separated people um you know that were successful through uh through the last year as well i think it's going to continue to be a mindset that you know the larger organizations if you take too long to plan you will miss opportunities um, to uh, enhance your digital experience for certain things to be able to capitalize on what's going on. So you got to get your kitchen right this year. That's right. Get your kitchen right. <laughs> I think the forced agility is something that uh, that COVID really brought to the, the forefront and maybe organizations, you know, like Joe was talking about that couldn't be agile or were, were resisting agile now really kind of turned the corner and saw some pretty good results from that. Forced agility gets brought on by actual disruption. Just don't forget that. And I think that's a great way to end the first episode of the Association Podcast. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Ben. Yep. We will be back with the next one the next time. Hey, guys. Thanks for making a difference today. Well, pick me up.